Welcome. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. It is a Wednesday, so you know what that means. It's time for some Tennessee harmony today. Uh, Pastor Bobby Harrington and Pastor Anthony Walker will join us a little later in the show. Uh, those pastors both come from Renew.org. You guys know them well. We're going to have a great conversation with them about what it means to be a man as a Christian and the attack on masculinity. This is going to be we, all the conversations with these guys are great. I'm hoping and thinking this is going to be the best one. Uh, we're going to be joined uh, shortly here by uh, a good friend of mine, a uh, former uh, co-worker of mine when I was at Fox Sports, three-time Super Bowl champion as an executive in the NFL, Michael Lombardi, one of Bill Belichick's right-hand men during the early stages of the Patriots dynasty. Uh, you guys know Mike uh, from the podcast world. He's one of the authorities from the executive level talking about the National Football League. And so he's going to be here right after I start this fire. All right. Pittsburgh police are investigating a brawl between a lone black man and a white couple that took place in the stands at Saturday's Lions-Steelers exhibition game. The melee was captured on a camera phone and shared across social media platforms. Perhaps you've seen the video. It is seemingly everywhere. Take a look at this for yourself. Shut up! Shut up! She told you to shut no, up. No, shut up and get the Yeah, yeah, that's pretty ugly. You can see a woman standing and repeatedly shouting, shut up at her husband, boyfriend, friend, companion, whatever, and then turning to confront the black man who appears to be bickering with her male companion. She jabs her finger in the face of the black man and tells him to get the F out. The man tells her not to touch him and pushes her hand and arm to the side. She then slaps him. From there, as you can see, all hell broke loose. The white couple badly loses a two-on-one fight. Fans scream, someone uploads a video of the fight to Twitter. The video goes viral. People across social media take sides, debating who, who instigated the fight. Did the black man unjustly push her first? Did the white woman spark the entire fa fiasco? Did, was the guy wrong for responding to being slapped in the face? None of that is all that interesting. You can argue either side. I happen to believe the woman wrongly threw gasoline on a lit match. Her male companion was seated and seemed to be doing all he could not to engage with the idiot intent on a confrontation. I blame the woman, but again, that's not really interesting. What's interesting is my belief that we're going to see more and more of these viral videos throughout the NFL season professional football, America's pastime, might turn into ground zero for this country's latest civil war. The NFL attracts the greatest cross-section of American sports fans. Both good old boys and homeboys love the NFL. So do the women who love them. 
the vaxxed and the unvaxxed. They love watching Tom Brady take on Lamar Jackson. Trump supporters and Trump haters, they sit next to each other at NFL stadiums. Notice I didn't say Trump supporters and Biden supporters. I'm not sure if there are any Biden supporters. It's Trump supporters and Trump haters. They sit at the same stadium. No one really cares about Biden. But the difference, the differences we used to ignore when we attended sporting events are now omnipresent within our minds. All human action, interaction, is interpreted through the lenses that assess skin color, political identity, sexual orientation, gender beliefs, and whatever else smartphones and social media apps have prioritized in our brains. We used to judge fans by the jerseys they wore. Not anymore. We now look much deeper. Does the fan wear a mask? Does he or she wear a mask properly? Is it covering their nose and mouth? Does that mask say Black Lives Matter? Or does it say MAGA? Or does it say Trump? Oh, is that fan unvaxxed and coughing? My point is, we're all potential lit matches waiting to be sparked. Alcohol and emotion are the accelerants. Maybe women too. Two weeks ago, inside Los Angeles' shiny new SoFi Stadium, a similar fan brawl went viral across social media. The Rams and the Chargers were playing. This brawl appears to be between mostly Rams fans, but take a look for yourself. Let me go ahead and recap this fight. The guy wearing the Aaron Donald jersey bluffs like he wants to take on a group of fans. He then thinks better of it, turns his back, and begins to walk away. This thing is over before it ever starts. Then a woman I will affectionately call light-skinned Lizzo, she throws a Pepsi on the back of the guy wearing the Aaron Donald jersey. And that from there, that's when the all hell breaks loose. I don't know if you saw it the first time, but there's a different angle of the fight where you can see uh, Eve, I, I mean, light-skinned Lizzo, taking a bite of the apple and throwing the Pepsi. Or she should be biting an apple, but take a look at this uh, video. Yeah, yeah. That's Eve taking a bite of the apple. The serpent told her, hey, you know what? Throw a Pepsi on this guy. That'll help settle things down. That'll make it better. Light-skinned Lizzo should be charged with a hate crime or sparking a melee, a brawl, or what, instigating a riot. But anyway, maybe these two fights are just isolated incidents. Fights have been taking place inside football stadiums for years. However, I suspect we're going to be seeing more of them spill out 
over social media this season. America is filled with rage and tension. Listen to this, and stick with me here. I'm gonna connect something to football that you normally wouldn't. Despite fewer vehicles being on the road due to the COVID pandemic, traffic fatalities have risen across America. Less cars on the street, more traffic fatalities. What could that be? Is there a bit too much tension? Are we too addicted to our smartphones, thinking the world is gonna end if we miss this text, if we miss the next update on our social media app, and so we're looking at our phone? Or are we just more intense? Then check out this next one here. Is not just road rage, also deaths from road rage, also skyrocketing over the last year since the pandemic. We're on pins and needles. We're angry. We've been programmed to hate and assume the worst about each other. It feels as if the puppet masters are frustrated we no longer have world wars, so they're promoting civil wars across the globe. The Purge, you seen that series of movies? It could potentially start at an NFL stadium near you. That's my take. I'm staying as far away from NFL stadiums, and I I live within walking distance of the Titan Stadium. You couldn't catch me. You couldn't pay me to go sit in the stands this year because I think people have been gassed up to see each other as enemies. Things that used to be blown off, oh, this guy stepped on my toe, or this guy bumped into me, or he spilled his beer. Now it's the next thing you know, well, that guy's a Trump supporter. I don't like, he ain't wearing a mask. I don't think he's vaccinated. I think these football stadiums in particular are gonna be powder kegs. I don't, and, and you could say that, well, how come this isn't happening at baseball games? You know, they got full stadiums now and people are going to those games. Baseball attracts a more homogenous crowd. Football attracts everybody from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, different ethnicities. I, I just think baseball isn't as testosterone filled as football stadiums. Uh, there are less arguments and the other thing about baseball it's not in the NFL and in football fans travel to go see their teams because they play on weekends and so Raiders fans a couple thousand of them will come to Kansas City sit in Chiefs Stadium maybe 5,000 of them Chiefs fans will travel to Denver when the Chiefs play there it's just a different atmosphere at football games than any look NBA you don't see Laker fans don't travel to Indianapolis to go see the Lakers play, uh, play the Pacers. Football is just a different thing in America. It puts together a more diverse group of people. And we used to come together and just have a good time. And yes, I know there were fights in the past. I just think we're going to see more of them because it's no different than what I said about uh, the traffic accidents. Less cars on the road more traffic fatalities, less people driving, 
more rage, more road rage deaths. We've been pitted against each other and there's no place we traditionally come together more than at football games. And unfortunately, I think the sparks are going to fly. All right. You all have heard me talk about our sponsor Built Bar here, but they are not just too good. They're just too good not to talk about. And they've helped me so much that I can't help talking about them. This is, I had one today before today's show. I've been trying to eat uh, between 11 a.m. and three o'clock every day. I'm trying to do the intermittent fasting. It's been going well. It's, it's been going awesome. Built Bar has been a big part of that. They, these things taste incredibly good. They're low in carbs. They don't spike your sugar. They got all different kinds of flavors from strawberry, mint brownie, rocky roll, salted caramel. Built Bar is just great, and it's been great for me. I don't know, when I look at the show, and when I look at myself on camera, I see my face starting to thin out. That's why I can always tell when I'm losing weight. You guys know I've been fired up ever since Uncle Jimmy got sick about addressing my weight problem. Built Bar has given me a great advantage and been a great boost to my efforts. I wanna thank you, and I want you all to go to built.com and punch in the promo code FEARLESS to save 15% off your first order. Use promo code FEARLESS for 15% off at built.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. All right, we're gonna roll out to Arizona and be joined by one of the brightest minds talking about football and coaching and leadership uh, former co-worker of mine when I was at Fox Sports, great panelist on Speak for Yourself, uh, Super Bowl champion with the New, New England Patriots and the Bill uh, Belichick dynasty. You know him as one of the top executives in the NFL, worked with the Patriots, obviously, and the Raiders. Michael Lombardi, uh, welcome to the program. It's great to have you, Mike. Uh, you look great, man. Thank you, Jason. I, uh, I It's good. Everything's good. I appreciate you having me. It's always be good to be back with you again. Uh, I was, the, you know, I'm on the road today, but when I get back to New Jersey, I'm going to dig up my Jason Whitlock college report from Ball State at that left tackle that was dominating the Mac. <laughs> and then I'm going to yeah, send it to you. I can't it's, wait to uh, read that. <laughs> it's good to be here, hey, Jason. Mike Thank does- you for having me. Mike does a podcast called The Daily Coach. It's the GM Shuffle Pod. Uh, you do that with George Ravlin. I believe this is something you guys started. Tell us about that. Well, you know, we were uh, when I was in L.A., Coach Rab and I became really close friends. We had always known each other. And then we started having lunch or dinner at Hal's over at the Playa Vista. And we just both were reading this book, Trillion Dollar Coach, about Bill Campbell, the former executive who advised Bill uh who advised Steve Jobs and, and Larry Sa- Larry Ellison and Sheryl Sandberg. And we thought, you know, there's a void in this country about l- listening to giving somebody a message every day about leadership, about how to apply the things we know and how to effectively help coaches. 
And so we started the Daily Coach two years ago last last July, and it's grown. Uh, we've have over twenty five thousand email morning subscribers. It's it's a labor of love. It's the fine of all the things I've been able to be a part of it in my career: uh, Super Bowls, working for Coach Walsh, working for Coach Belichick, being with Al Davis. This gives me the greatest joy of all because it impacts people on a daily basis, and hopefully the messaging can help uh, leaders throughout the country. Whether you're a high school coach, whether you're a college coach whether you teach the fourth grade, whatever, you're a leader. And we're trying to apply that. And working with Coach Raveling is the uh, is one of the greatest achievements of my life. Now, I don't know if you know this, Jason. Coach Raveling owns the I Have a Dream speech. I did not know that. Martin Luther King Coach Rav- speech. Martin Luther King speech. He was a young – he just finished college at Villanova. He and his buddy went to his father's house in Wilmington. And the father said, are you guys going to go to Washington tomorrow to listen to the speeches? And they said, now, we don't have any money to do this and we can't afford it. The father said, look, take my car. Here's money. They drive down there. They get a hotel on the outskirts of town. They start walking around the monument. And they these guys see these two, six, seven African-American kids say, you guys want to be security guards? Yeah, sure. Fifty cents an hour. So Coach Rav is up on stage. And when Dr. King gets done the speech, Coach Rab walks over to him and says, could I have a copy of that speech? He folds it and hands it to him, and he owns it today. <laughs> Unbelievable. What a great story, yeah. Mike. Uh, I do want to bust your balls a little bit here, though. Uh, go you ahead. mentioned all the great people you work with, Bill Walsh, Bill Belichick, Al Davis, George Ravling, and then I was expecting, you know, at some point, Jason Whitlock, Marcellus Wiley. I mean, Colin Cowherd. I wasn't there. I was there with Colin. I was there with you. Enjoyed that, too. I really enjoyed our time there together because I, I think we owe it to people to talk in real terms and be honest. And I, you do that. And I think that's really important. I think this 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 media of just repeating and regurgitating the same line. Coach Walsh taught me this years ago. He said to me one day I was driving in my car and we're all thinking alike. No one's thinking. And I mm. think that's really what we have to be able to do and share our ideas and not be afraid to share your ideas. All right. I just shared an idea about my fear going into this NFL season. And, you know, I know this isn't your area. Well, it is your area of expertise. You know football, and you have to worry about stadium and security and fans. Am I making too much, uh, potentially, of these isolated fights that we've seen? Because there have always been fights in the stands. But I really am concerned, Mike, that people have been so gassed up to view each other in such a negative way. I'm concerned we're going to see more of this this football season. You know, I think this has always been a part of the game, right? I mean, when my kids, when I worked at the Eagles, my wife was always scared to bring the kids, little kids to the game because of the fights in the stadium, because there's so much passion between these fan bases, whether it's the Chargers and the Raiders. I mean, we used to play down in law, down in San Diego and, uh, you know, and, and those were always fights. There are always fights going on all the time. So I think we have to do, and I think the NFL owners will, will see this. We have to do a better job of policing it. We've got to do a better job. When you mix alcohol and passion together, right? It usually doesn't come out very well. You know, and usually when you have fan bases as passionate as the Raiders or as passionate as, you know, the Cowboys and they're in a stadium where someone else, there's going to be hostilities. I mean, look, we live in an age where people are willing to express their toughness through Twitter. And so why not do it at a game? And I think we have to be able to control it and be the better person and walk away from it. 
All right, Mike, uh, I, I have, this is the first time I've actually talked about this be, because I, I want to be careful and protect guys, but there's NFL players that have been reaching out to me over the past couple of weeks behind the scenes. Everybody's talking about the COVID protocols uh, and, and, and whether players are fully vaccinated or not. And, you know, the NFL has is levying fines and potentially you may have to forfeit games and all that. And the players that I'm talking to aren't upset with the NFL. They're upset with the NFL PA for some of the things they agreed to. And the players feel like they weren't given the proper information or updated that DeMarie Smith and the NFL PA signed off on things that don't make sense. And when I look at what's happened to Cole Beasley, the trainer who I think was vaccinated comes up positive and somehow because Cole Beasley has contact with him, Cole Beasley, even though he tests negative, he has to sit out four or five days of practice. I just don't think this makes a lot of sense to the NFL players and they're mostly a hundred percent upset with the PA, not the NFL. Have you heard any of this? What do you think about the way the NFL is handling vaccinated, unvaccinated players, COVID policies this year? You know, I, I think this, Jason, I think that the NFL PA and the NFL owners understand this more than perhaps in other sports. They are partners and they have to protect their business. And yes, they probably don't do a good job communicating that to the players, but they're partners in it. And we saw the salary cap go down last year, which affected the players because the partnership lost money. And it's just not the owners who lose money. It's the partnership that loses money. And so the owners have to protect their business. And I think they have a right to do that. Look, I am not just, you know, everybody has their voice and choices to decide whether they want to get vaccinated or not. But the owners of those 32 teams are going to try to protect their business the best way they possibly can. And I think they need cooperation from their business partners, which are the players. And the PA must do a better job of communicating that, because I think sometimes the players don't understand their partners. Yes, the revenue splits 51-49, but you're still a major partner in this. And I think that that's what has to. And how do we enhance our business to the best partnership that we can so we don't avoid losing money like we all have last year? And this is a difficult situation because people have a right to not get vaccinated. But if you're going to work in the NFL, I have two sons. One works at the Carolina Panthers. One works at the New England Patriots. And I've told them both, you know, look, if you want to work in the NFL, you're going to have to get vaccinated. If you want to feed your family and you want to do this, you're going to have to get vaccinated because that's going to be the rules of the land. And the league, as we've known, will move on without you unless you're willing to do that. So you're going to have to come to it. Now, the FDA is going to approve the Pfizer shot officially. Maybe that'll help some people decide to get the shot. I don't know. But I think it's the rules of engagement, Jason, to protect their business. And, you know, if you don't want to, here's what I would say. You don't you don't want to get the shot. That's fine. Where are you going to be able to go to work? Where will, where will you be allowed to go to work? Because if you want to go become a high school coach, I think they're going to try to make you get vaccinated in high school. If you want to be a college coach, it's going to be the same thing. So you're not going to be able to outrun this because the one thing we do know, COVID is deadly and COVID can ruin lives. You mentioned 
partnership. And I want to ask a follow up on that question. And Mike, you know me well from having worked with me. <laughs> I want to give my opinion and you can work your way around my opinion any way you want. Uh, partnership, I think, has been lost between the NFLPA and the NFL because I think they have the wrong director of the NFLPA. I, I don't have any respect for DeMaurice Smith. I, I think he pales in comparison to Gene Upshaw, who's a former player who actually yeah. did have a partnership with uh, Roselle and Pete, uh, Paul Tagliabue. And, and I thought things worked a lot better. And I'm, I'm sure you know Gene Upshaw really well from your days yeah. with Al Davis. Uh, I, 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 that's where I tend to agree with the players. I think they have weak leadership because I don't think Marie Smith loves the players the way Gene Upshaw did. And, and you have to love the players to put up with them. I, I'm just, right. you know, these are young kids with a bunch of money. You know, they're hard to corral. They're annoying. But if you love I, the game and love the players, you put up with it. I think this, I think this, Jason, I would agree with you on in this sense. I think there's always a disconnect. And I think it happens on the owner side too, of people that run teams or run the league that don't understand the plight of the team. And there's people that are running the NFLPA that don't understand the plight of a player. Right. I, I think that's why they have that executive committee with the PA to help D Smith understand what it really is like for a player. But I think if you look at the at the landscape of what D. Smith has been able to do, the value, the comp, the contracts that are coming in, how the salary cap is rising, how players, the minimum salaries of players are making so much money, and you know, and I think the investments in that. Now, look, I think D. Smith could do a better job of helping players life after football. I think we should have a leadership academy for African-American coaches to go to. I think we should have the IBM Academy that they have at, uh, not IBM, that they have at uh, General Electric has a, a leadership academy. We should have the Jim Brown Academy. I've said this numerous times. I, I've written about it in Gridiron Genius. We should have a leadership academy that the players, that ex-players can go learn how to become coaches, learn, understand what it's like to be a coach, how to lead. We get so caught up in X's and O's that really the essence of a great coach is leadership. And so there's a disconnect. And that disconnect, I think, is what you're referring to, because you don't truly understand the plight of a coach, the plight of a player. So we make rules for like we only are going to have 10 padded practices before the game gets kicked off. That benefits the players greatly. There's not a lot of contact, but it hurts the product on the field and it hurts the coaches preparing. So there's a lot of things that have been given back and forth between the PA and the owners that really affect the players and the, and the coaches. And they don't seem to have a voice. All right, the COVID conversation leads to a nice little transition to Cam Newton and the New England yeah. Patriots. And, you know, I, I don't want you to betray any confidences. Obviously, you mentioned your son works for the Patriots. But, but what do you make of Cam and the mishandling, the misunderstanding about COVID? He has to sit five days. Seems like it's opening the door for Mac Jones. Uh, how do you think Cam Newton, Bill Belichick, How's that going to play out year two? Well, I think the one thing is, and I've been was around the team last Tuesday. I think Cam and Coach Belichick have a great relationship. I think Cam has a great relationship with his teammates, and I think Mac Jones is a good young player. And this is given Mac Jones today. We're, we're it's Tuesday, and they just got done practice, and Mac Jones had a really good day today practicing. So it's going to give him the reps that he needs. Is he ready to start right away? I'm not sure about that. 
because Coach Belichick is going to make this decision not based on A or B. He's going to make this decision based on where he thinks his team will be in three weeks. He doesn't want to start Mac Jones if he thinks Mac Jones could struggle the first three weeks because then what does he do? Does he change? Does he go back to Cam? Whereas if he starts Cam and he brings Mac Jones along, eventually maybe Cam plays great. That's great. Or then he starts Mac Jones if Cam struggles. So I think it's going to be it's not going to be predicated on what happened with this COVID. It's given Mac Jones a lot of reps that he needs to become a really good player. And he will be a good player for the for, for the Patriots. So, uh, you know, I think that's going to stay the course in his decision making. Belichick is what we call a second order thinker. He's never going to make a decision and then see what happens. He wants to make a decision and see what the impact of that decision is before he makes it and then try to figure out what he needs to do from that point. You said you were with the team on Tuesday. Are you optimistic they're going to be better than last year? Well, they have to be better. I mean, they had they couldn't set the edge on the defense. They didn't have any receivers. Their tight end, Ryan Izzo, wasn't, ver- wasn't a, an NFL caliber tight end. They didn't really have a tight end on the team last year. They had a lot of COVID opt-outs last year. The high tower wasn't there. Patrick Chung missed it. They're much improved. They spent a lot of money to get much improved. This offensive line will be very good. If you if Damian Harris will if you're in fantasy football, I would say take Damian Harris as a fantasy player. He's going to gain a lot of yards. He's going to run the ball. Trent Brown, the right tackle, will be really good for them with Shaq Mason. They're going to run the ball. Whomever plays quarterback, they will be a better offensive team because of Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry and these receivers they sign. And then you've got the really one of the greatest coaches of all time. They're going to make it, they're going to make it hard to beat them. And, you know, Buffalo's a challenging team to play. Buffalo's really good too. Miami will be improved, but I, I suspect good things for the Patriots. Will they win a Super Bowl? Who knows? I mean, the Super Bowl winner is going to come down to what team peaks in November, December. The Bucks. They lose to the Rams on what that Sunday night game. They lose to Tampa Bay. And then the next thing you know, they get themselves in gear and they play their best football at the end of the year. That's who wins Super Bowls. I don't think that Belichick needs to win another Super Bowl to prove anything. But Me Tom either. Brady did put a little pressure on him. Do you think Bill feels any pressure to prove he can do it without Tom? Well, I think Bill feels pressure to win. I think Bill's about winning. And I, I think, look, the pro, the program wins. You know, everybody said that, you know, if, if they didn't have Brady, they would have never won. And I think Brady would be the first to say, look, we've won a lot of games. OK, let's go the first Super Bowl. They beat the, the greatest show on turf. Right. That was a defensive struggle. Vinatieri kicks a field goal at the end of the game. The last Super Bowl they won together was what, 13 to three. It was a defensive game that won. It wasn't just because they had this high octane offense. So, you know, Belichick's tenure and his coaching, it's, it, it, there's no debating it. And Brady's talent, there's no debating it. But I think there's always pressure to win in the National Football League, especially one who's achieved excellence like Coach Belichick has. And, and I think he wants to leave the organization in a really good spot. And I think that's why Mac Jones is there, because eventually, look, we all know this. You know this. Everybody, if you don't have a quarterback, you can't win. And so they may have a quarterback for the future. Mike, I'm going to let you get out of here on this note, and then I'm going to let you plug your book. But I think you're the perfect person to ask this question. Deshaun Watson, Houston Texans, what the hell do they do? If you were running that organization, what do you do? What's the best case scenario? Well, I I would remind people that Deshaun Watson signed a no trade clause contract last August, a year ago. And all of a sudden, 12 months later, everything's gone to hell. And then I would also tell everybody, look, I I am in the decision making business. 
And I don't and I can't make decisions if I don't have all the information. And right now, I don't have all the information. I don't have all the information. I don't I don't even have half of the information. So Deshaun Watson's going to be on this team. He's going to be a Houston Texan. And he's probably not going to play this year because I don't know what's going on. He's going to stand over here with me because this is this is the situation that we've been presented with. And until we get all the data comes through and we understand what's happening, I can't make a decision moving forward. There's no sense in me taking telephone calls about trading them because the team that I'm going to try to trade them to doesn't have any answers and I have no answers to give them. So that's going to lower his value. So I'm going to sit tight. I learned this from Al Davis and, and it used to drive me crazy, Jason. He was overly patient. And he didn't want to make a decision. But I think through time, as you get older, you learn patience is truly the virtue. I would sit tight, but I would also explain to everybody I don't have enough information to make any decision right or wrong regarding Deshaun Watson's future. Mike, I've never written a book. You've written a book, Gridiron Genius, and maybe yeah, you've but you're a way better writer. Book. You're a good writer, though. <laughs> Tell us you're about Gridiron Genius and. Maybe I need you well, to ghostwrite a book for me. I, you know, I one thing I, I am pretty aware of of I've, when I'm around greatness, like yourself. You know, whenever you're around greatness, you can appreciate it. And I was fortunate at an early age to be Bill Walsh's driver, and then I worked for B Bill Belichick. I worked with Marty Schottenheimer, and then I worked with uh, with. Uh, Al Davis. I've been to the Super Bowl with Al Davis, Bill Walsh, and Bill Belichick. I'm the only person alive that's been to Super Bowls with all three. And this book is really about those three people. It's about what I learned from them. I'm not the gridiron genius. I wanted to make it plural, gridiron geniuses, about those three people. And it's a book that's a football book, but it's the size. It's really a culture book. It's about how to build organizations that have great culture. And that's what the book is really about. And I was fortunate enough to get Coach Belichick to write the foreword. And it's all about the experiences that I've learned through life. So hopefully, if you're in sports management or if you're in any of those situations where you want to get into sports, it would be the best book to start reading. Michael, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Great job. Anytime, Jason. You call me anytime. You know I love talking to you. Thanks, Jason. Love you, Mike. Tell your wife hello. All right, let me get to this free email service. Like Gmail and Yahoo, they're not really free. You pay with your privacy. In fact, internet giants like Big Tech bank on exploiting your data by selling it to the highest bidder. Your business plan? Google has it. Your medical records? Yahoo can sell them to drug companies. That's why I just made the switch to start mail. It makes me feel safe again. Start mail keeps my email private, period. Every email can be encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. When you delete an email in start mail, it's gone forever. And start mail uses their own servers, not Amazon's, which means they can't be put out of business like parlor. Switching to start mail is seamless too. You can easily transfer all your current email data so there's no starting from scratch. Start mail is also backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. Your cybersecurity has never been more at risk. Take control of your privacy with start mail before it's too late. Start securing your email privacy with start mail. Sign up today and you'll get 50% off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash fearless. That's startmail with a T. Startmail.com slash fearless for 50% off your first year. 
Startmail.com slash fearless. I've done it. Best thing you can do, I'm just, there's this thing where you can send dummy email addresses when you sign up for something and the next thing you know, you're getting spammed from some company because you've had something delivered to your house and they spam you. Startmail has a solution for that. Startmail.com slash fearless. It's got my highest recommendation. All right, welcome back. Time to kick in some Tennessee Harmony. Mike Lombardi did a great job, but you know, these next two guests, Pastor Bobby Harrington, Pastor Anthony Walker from Renew.org, you know they're gonna do an awesome job, and boy, do I have a topic uh, for you You guys today. Uh, Someone over social media, maybe Twitter, sent me a video of a YouTuber that has a very fascinating take on the events in Afghanistan. And he used it to make a point about manhood and and demanding that, hey guys, we need to stand up and be men again. Uh, It's about, I think an eight minute video. I think we've reduced it down to about two minutes to give you the gist of it. But watch this and then kick back and get prepared for a biblically sound conversation about how to be a man. Recent events have convinced me that there are some non-Christians who really need to live by these verses. Take the recent exodus from Afghanistan following the Taliban takeover. We've seen footage of people at the Kabul airport trying to get out of Afghanistan by clinging to the side of a U.S. military jet. Do you notice anything about the people who are trying to force their way out of Afghanistan? They seem to be overwhelmingly grown men. Here's a now famous picture from inside the C-17. These are people who forced their way into a jet that was about to leave the Kabul airport. Think about the Titanic. Let's look at some statistics about survivors of the Titanic. There were 434 women on the Titanic. Most of them passengers, the rest were staff. 324 survived. So 75% of women survived. There were 112 children on the Titanic. 56 survived. So 50% of children survived. There were 1,680 men on the Titanic, slightly more staff and crew than passengers. 323 survived. So 19% of men survived. What's going on here? Why are grown men leaving their wives and mothers and sisters and children, expecting their wives and mothers and sisters and children to fend for themselves against terrorists? These guys are like George Costanza when a fire breaks out. How would you not rather die than abandon women and children? Mm. Mm. Video's amazing. It's titled Be a Man. And I th- the guy just hammered a great point about there's a cultural shift across the globe. Yeah. It's not just here in America. Men are abandoning their traditional roles. And maybe they're doing it at the behest of women or the power structure, we're being asked 
I think in some regards, to abandon our traditional roles. And many of us seem to be doing it willingly. But I, first of all, I, I sent you guys and everybody's seen the entire video. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts on the video and the question about what's going on with men. I love the video. Great, great video, because I think it highlights exactly what's happening. And, you know, this is called Tennessee Harmony. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing about harmony. Uh, what is the basis of harmony? Because if harmony is going to be that uh, you have your view and I have mine, whoever it is, A or B, uh, and somehow we have harmony in between, that's actually not a long-standing harmony. When you talk about harmony, Jason, you're talking about harmony based around the Judo-Christian values upon which this country was founded, correct? Absolutely. Okay, so this is an area where there's been a radical change. And right now, nobody can tell a man what it means to be a man as distinct from a woman. And men are growing up, young men are growing up, and they are totally confused about what is it. I was uh, talking to somebody the other day. They were telling me these young men are now wearing high heels. And when you look at the stats, this is not a pretty picture of what's happening to young men today. So I don't know if you want me to jump into it. Oh, right for now. one second. All I right. want to get to those stats because they're amazing. But I want to give Anthony an opportunity, just to, your reaction to the video and anything Bobby may have just said. Kind of echoing what Bobby said, uh, we in the country are not really sure. Society can't tell a man what this is really supposed to be. And the only way we can get that is by coming back to God and also echoing his point on harmony. The scriptures tell us that we are given the ministry of reconciliation to bring things back into harmony with God. Yeah. And so in order to bring it back into harmony with God, we got to go to him to find out who's who in our responsibility. Bobby, <laughs> the statistics that you yeah. Mind-blowing. Okay, Let, let's just talk about what's happening today. So the number of young men saying that having a successful marriage is one of the most important things in life has decreased to 30%. Twelfth graders saying that they have never dated has gone from 15% 40 years ago to 50% recently. Like it's a it's a sign that young men don't know what it is to be a man and nobody can tell them. Seventy six percent of young men are now regularly using pornography. Most people live together without marriage and the majority of all children are now born outside of wedlock uh, in the United States. And I'm just saying from a traditional judo Christian value system, that is a radical departure that uh, come about. Men are not thriving. Fewer men are graduating high school than women. Fewer men are graduating college than women. Women now outnumber men seeking master's degrees, law degrees, medical degrees, and PhDs. And uh, uh, Better Life has this quote. After decades and decades of social dominance, Men are now entering adulthood with less education, less money, less ambition, and fewer achievements than their female counterparts. 20%, mm. one in five young men are living with their parents into their 30s now. So the first thing I think of as a layman that I want you guys to, to react to, and I'm sure 
I'm wrong about this. But the first thing that pops in my head biblically, Anthony, you go first. First thing I think of is the first shall be last. <laughs> and and does that am I misapplying that from the Bible? Because I, I think we were first men mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everything Bobby just talked about is like, oh, we're backing up. We're, we're not first anymore. Am I wrong for applying that? There are some there are some principles about that that are being mistaken, not just from your perspective, but even from society's perspective. Uh, but the way that I look at what men are supposed to be, I like to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, when God made man, he told man, I want you to have dominion over the earth, which is to extend God's rule and reign and his purpose over the earth. That's what he told man initially. And then we find out in the next chapter that he tells man, this is the garden that I placed you in. I want you to tend to it. So man has responsibility. He's got a job. Basically, he tells man, name all the animals. So man starts out with identity, with responsibility, with vision, with purpose, with direction. But most importantly, a relationship with God all before Eve even shows up on the scene. And so in this pattern that God gave Adam, where he has to be the man, basically, when Eve comes on the scene, he names her. He says, oh, this is woman and everything that man had named before he's responsible for. So he's even responsible for her. Those basic principles that started from the beginning are what we have to have as men. Yeah, I totally agree with him. Uh, if, if we could contrast where we are today with kind of the ideal of a man, like you and I talked about this, Jason, in the Bible, 1 Corinthians uh, 16, verse 13 says, be a man, talking Amazing. to people. And they understood in the first century culture what it meant to be a man mm-hmm. was very different than being a woman. Right. Now, the Bible then takes it and says, hey, be a man like Jesus. Yes. In fact, when it talks about uh, men in relationship with their wives and their children, Ephesians 5 verse 25 makes it really clear. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the idea that a, that a man is to uh, to give up his life. You think of these the, the people on the planes or on the Titanic. What, what a contrasting vision. See, on the Titanic, they had the traditional Christian manhood idea that you lay your life down for women. Nowadays, it's no, everybody's out for themselves. <laughs> Take care of yourself first. And uh, somehow the women and children will figure it out for themselves. Very different views of the world. You know, just like you mentioned how in 1 Corinthians 16, where he says basically be a man, the example stems from what was said in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says the first man, Adam, brings sin into the world, but the second Adam, referencing Jesus, came as the perfect man to take sin out of the world. So if we need an example of what a perfect man is, it's Jesus. Yeah, so we just champion, you wanna know what it is to be a man? Because most people can't tell their kids today. If you're raising uh, boys today, nobody can tell a boy from our world, nobody can tell a boy what it is to be a boy different from a girl. So as early as elementary, 
Uh, you've got kids transitioning from one gender to another. And the whole idea is it's all fluid anyway. Whereas historically in our culture with a Judeo-Christian foundation based on scripture, people knew what it meant to be a man. And that's different than a woman. And the ideal man is the person Jesus. He shows us what it is to be a man. Bobby, we talked earlier this week or last week about this. You mentioned, I think it's in this first Corinthians chapter and verse where they've actually taken be a man out of it and it's now be strong. Yeah. They're trying to get at the sense that be a man, what it meant. And rather than traditionally, uh, like the English translation was be a man, uh, the newer versions are saying, let's translate that to just be strong because otherwise it comes across as too sexist. And so one of the things you like educate, this like changed in 2011. Yeah, with the new international version, which is the dominant version of the Bible in North America, it changed in 2011. And so that when I heard, when you told me that and shared that, I was like, no wonder we're going the direction we are. No wonder these things are happening because the, the attack on masculinity is within the church. Yeah, one of the biggest problems today is that there's so much pressure on churches and on pastors uh, to not be perceived as misogynists, to not be perceived as the old world is, the old, the old word is chauvinistic. And so uh, people are bending over backward to accommodate the culture and what they're, it's a, it's a real disservice by churches because uh, God created us as male and female, men physiologically and in every aspect of their being, they're oriented to life different than women. Yes. We yes. complement one another, but we're different. We're different. And, and our society, we have got to teach men what it is to be a Christ-like man because it's the best, it brings out the best in men. And uh, it's, it's a big need today. Bobby, I'm gonna ask you to sit this out for just a second because there's something specific here that I need to talk with Anthony about, but I think it's also affecting the white church as well in terms of, I, I look at the church I grew up in, in in Indianapolis, 25th Street Baptist Church, small church in the inner city. Uh, it's, it's, it's dominated and run by women okay. because, you know, our marriage rate isn't high in the black community. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the black church is run by the deaconess board or <laughs> the women of the church. And, and, and I, and mama, I apologize. Ain't Dorothy y'all watching right now or <laughs> might be, or, or we'll hear about this because they love the harmony episodes. But again, my mother and aunt running my, my old church and, and, uh, making it hard on the men there. Uh, and, and that's a unique, how do you combat that within, because the attendance percentage is probably higher with women, mm -hmm. perhaps more involved in the church. Mm -hmm. How do you not lean towards the feminist agenda or the, the matriarchy or the women's point of view when the church is dominated by women? So, man, that's a lot to unpack, but I'll say for our church, Plenty of time. <laughs> I'll say, I'll say for our church, um, 
as you mentioned, in the black church. Yeah. Historically, because of, as you've pointed out, men not being there for various reasons, the attendance has been more so on women. But just a principle about the church versus culture as it is now, we don't cater to the culture. We allow God's word to change the culture. So even though there may be more women in the audience, we still got to go back to God's word as he instructs men to lead and have responsibility. So even within my congregation, one of the things that I did when I first got there about 14 years ago, uh, and I based this off of a scripture in Exodus 34, God said to Moses, bring all of the males And that's, you know, there's a difference biblically between a male and a man. You're a male by birth. You're a man by maturity and responsibility. But God said, I want all the males to meet with me on the mountain three times a year. So at our church, uh, I instituted a men's retreat where once a year we get all the men, as many as can make it. And we go to the mountains in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge. We rent this huge chalet that sleeps about 90, you know, we get all the guys there and there are younger guys. We have a kind of an age limit because of some of the things we talk about, but we deal with everything from, you know, marriage, uh, from biblical, scriptural growth, spiritual growth, uh, parenting. Uh, here lately, we've dealt a lot more with emotion, depression, expressing all of that. But it's an opportunity for men to bond and to learn from God's word how to be men. But what has shifted over these 14 years is now wives. Every time that it's time for our men's retreat, wives are signing up their husband. He hasn't even checked his work schedule. They say he's going because they can recognize when he comes back from that retreat, he's a better husband. He's a better leader, father. He's a better man. But then what it feeds into with our younger men, those who are beneath the age of 12, they're looking, I can't wait till I get, because I want to be able to be a part of this fraternity, so to speak, of men. And it reflects on the church, but then it reflects on the community. So we're now the entire church is supporting even women who they're not married to those guys, but they'll, they will give me donations to say, if there's any man that wants to go, that may not be able to pay or whatnot, we want to support that. And it all starts from a biblical base that man has to take the lead. And when men are men and they take the lead as God instruct them to, the women will follow. It's not sexist. It's not misogynistic. It's biblical and it works biblically. It changes the lives. Bobby, I'm going to say something back to Anthony. And then I want you to, after Anthony responds, respond to any of my comments, any of, of Anthony's, whatever. Get in where you fit in. Yeah. Uh, so I sit and think about my own spiritual journey okay. from childhood through college, through my work career to where I've am now where I feel like I finally got it figured out and I'm, I'm really starting to understand my role. But I can remember as a young man, particularly in college, I felt the feminine energy of the Christian church and it made me start looking elsewhere. And it made me through my college years from 18 probably all the way to 25, 26, or 
all the way, you know what? I can tell you, all the way up to 1994 in the Million Man March. I think that was in 94. Mm. Uh, I liked Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam because of that masculine energy, mm -hmm. because of that call for responsibility, mm -hmm. because he was surrounded by men and it was strong. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. I look at the culture and I look at the church. Whenever you take masculinity away, men start doing dumb things uh, and, and, and start looking for masculine energy. Where, where can I get it? I'm not getting it from the church. Oh, I can get it from rap music. Mm -hmm. And now it's turned into something really negative. That's why rap music has been so popular is because it's dumb, it's violent, it's sexist, but it's it's masculine. And so it sells. And 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 not to offend Trump supporters, but there's a reason why Trump is so popular, because people feel like th there's no masculine energy out there. And that guy's showing it. And I don't care what it's all packaged in. Yeah. People are just attracted. Men and women are attracted to masculine energy. Mm -hmm. And so that's how do we restore the masculinity to the church in a big, bold way, because that is what will sell. It sells in rap music. It put Trump in the White House and we keep turning away from it and, and thinking it's a bad thing. And, and we're missing an opportunity. And, and I was, I'm rambling, but I, I just want to say what's on my heart and what I've been thinking. It's like uh, last week we had Ted Nugent on this show, rock and roll guy. He's a Christian. And uh, I started talking to him about, he's a big hunter. And uh, I, I've never hunted, but I've got friends that have, and they tell me about the experience and how it connects them with the earth and how it actually connects them with God. Being out in the woods mm -hmm. and, and, and just being that still, you get mesmerized by God and like, oh my God, look at the planet. Look what this does. And you start realizing like, man didn't do this. Yeah. No way. And so hunters have this spiritual connection and you'll find a lot of them are really religious and and it made me think like, man, if we could get black boys out in the woods hunting and channeling their masculine energy and their desire to be dominant and w mm -hmm. what God wants us to actually be dominant over and have dominion over. Mm -hmm. Maybe that will reduce some of the gun violence if they're out hunting deer, ducks, whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and it just it, it we have to start to, that retreat that mm -hmm. you're talking about. Mm -hmm. like, I'm sitting there going, man, I wonder if we could add a hunting element to that and bring mm -hmm. the kids yeah. out and blah, 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 mm -hmm. and connect them to their masculine energy mm -hmm. and channel it that way rather than into the, because again, the gangs and that masculine energy that comes from gangs, we have to do something in the church, bold and masculine to get to attract the attention of the men in particular, and the women will fall follow in right behind, I think. Let me say this real quickly, Bobby, as in response to that, because it's, it's resonating with me. I, I want to say even to challenge or to elevate what you're saying, I don't think it's just masculine. I think you're hinting on manhood. So, so the difference or the nuance there, uh, you don't have to be, you know, you just have to be a male 
to reproduce, but you have to be a man to be a father. There's a difference there. So what happens is if I don't have a man discipling me, fathering me, showing me what to do as a man, then I'm going to fall to my base element. Oh, I could just reproduce. And we go from this woman to this woman to yeah. this woman. And that makes me feel like, hey, because I can reproduce, I'm a man. No, you just being a male, you're expressing just that masculine energy. But we think about, you know, Bobby hits this um, from a biblical perspective and even scientifically. Women, you know, men and women both have testosterone. Women have a little bit of it. Men, we have it surging through us constantly. It causes us to be aggressive. It causes us to be, you know, when we shake hands, we're rough with one another. We're that's we've got physiologically we're different. Right. But if I don't have a father to show, hey, when you get angry, you can't just hit and flip over stuff and do that. You got to be able to control that son. When you feel these urges that are within you to do whatever, you just can't go all off. There's the discipling element. What you're talking about with hunting, I've got you know, relatives of mine that hunt. It's just not necessary. It doesn't start with one person just randomly. Hey, I'm going to most of the time there's someone else to show you how to, this is how well, you do. There's that discipling that takes place. It's, you guys are talking about something super important right now. So what we have done is we have taken a traditional role where people knew what it meant to be a man. And we said, well, that that's not really the case. And the churches, the churches are in bad shape mm. on this to be uh, straightforward with you. 62% of all people attending church today are women. So men, men are checking out of church. And what we've got to realize is that a lot of churches come across like even worship songs is like Jesus is my boyfriend rather than challenge. And, you know, let's take the hill together. Let's let's uh, do great things for God. Let's let's make a difference. Let's be bold and courageous. So when my son turned 18, because I believe so passionately about this and I learned it from my father. So my son turned 18. I said to him, uh, I'm going to take you anywhere you want to go. We're going to have a manhood ceremony. My dad was going to be a part of it. Uh, his uh, cousin was going to be a part of it. And uh, one of our close friends who was involved in his life. And he said, if I could go anywhere I want, do anything I want, I want to hike the Grand Canyon. So we said, all right, we're going to do it. So I set up the arrangements. We went to the Grand Canyon. We had a manhood ceremony and I gave him a definition of manhood that and I gave him a plaque and he still has it. He's 35. So he's had it on his uh, in his bedroom because I wanted him to know what does it mean to be a man distinct from a woman? So here's the definition. I call it a real man. It's the Christ like man who's not passive and he's not overly aggressive. A real man rejects passivity, uh, expects God's greater reward as he accepts responsibility and leads courageously. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that, that's the ideal man found in the person of Jesus. That's the man who was going to sacrifice himself so that the women and children on that Titanic would be saved. That's the ideal behind chivalry, the Christian ideal of chivalry, where you take care of women, you put them first. 
but you're ready to take care of business, you're ready to hunt, you're ready to do whatever you need to do to be a kind of bold and courageous person who protects the weak, who cares about where we go, who cares about society, who cares about his family, who takes care of his wife, who takes care of his children, because he knows God wants him to be that real man. Mm. I want to follow up. That was awesome, Bobby. Yes. Uh, awesome. And, and, but I want to follow up on something Anthony said to make a bigger point and have you guys check me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think emotion has been elevated in modern society. Mm-hmm. Are you in touch with your emotions? <laughs> oh, don't be afraid to show your emotions. It's unhealthy to keep your emotions inside. And I'm just sorry, I reject all of it. Okay. I think as a man, you part of being a man is being able to control your emotions. Sure. And I think we need to be able to say that and tell that to young boys. And damn if people don't like it. But also, I don't think you're supposed to keep your emotions bottled up. But as a man and as a responsible person, take man out of it. There's only certain people you really should share your emotions with. Mm -hmm. We've turned it into share your emotions with everybody. And I'm like, no, man, your wife, your kids, mama, daddy, people that can handle your emotions and will properly interpret your emotions. Let it all out. But with the rest of the world, we can't be triggered and I got to show everybody how blah, blah. And every time somebody says something about me, I, oh, you can't disrespect me like that. And I get all emotional because I, I try to tell young guys all the time. I was like, hey, man, what does your mama and daddy think about you? Why do you care what this person? Th- he don't know you. Mm-hmm. What does Jesus think about you? Mm-hmm. Everybody else is irrelevant. (laughs) And so he can't that. And I work with Chris and I work with Corey, Uncle Jimmy or whatever. I respect them, but they can't in any way control my emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Chris could call and not that he would, but he called me the N word right now. And I would not bat an eye because it's irrelevant. Trust me, Jesus does not think of me as an N word. Mm -hmm. Chris would be making a fool of himself, calling me outside my name. Mm-hmm. I, I just, well, I, what you're getting at is the traditional man was somebody who subverted his emotions and his feelings to do what I was describing, to accept responsibility and lead courageously and not be dominated by emotions. But we are in a time and in a culture where instead of good cognitive thought, good leadership and reason, feelings and my truth and my reality becomes more important than doing the right thing and accepting responsibility and letting good rational cognitive thought have a dominant influence in what we do and why we do it. You know, if you read the book of John, the Gospel of John, 
John was like a best friend of Jesus. When you read the book of John, you'll hear more about Jesus's humanity. So he speaks more about Jesus being hungry, tired, angry, sad. He wept several times. Jesus had all the emotions that we have, but he was not led by his emotions. And even as a man, as Jesus shows us as a man, we're not to be led by our emotions. We're led by God. Jesus says several times himself, I only speak what God tells me to speak. I go where God wants me to go. So if we allow our emotions to lead, that's when we're abusive. That's when we're erratic. It's, it's the passive man. Yeah. The yeah. Pa- like in, we talked about Adam and Eve, you know, uh, when Adam and Eve fell into sin and and corrupted the whole universe, the Bible says that when the when Eve took and ate of the apple, the man was there with at her side passively. He was with her. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest problem for men is that passivity and that dominance by emotion rather than saying, no, I'm going to follow the example of Jesus. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to subvert my feelings for the greater call of God and what God wants me to be and what God wants me to do. I, 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 I need a second here. I was hoping you weren't finished, Bob, because I, I want to look up something I wrote yesterday to make sure. And I hold on, I got it. It's because you mentioned my truth. And this is where I think people don't understand that whatever I call them satanic forces, whatever, who's ever in control of language, they're playing games with it. Uh, they're playing games with it. And this whole my truth yeah. thing, and, and, and I wrote about it yesterday about Aleister Crowley and the Thelema occult. Yes. And the Satanists and, and what they actually believe and he was he he, he uh, my problem with the left is as for do without will is the unstated overarching theme of progressive pot do without will is the primary tenet of the Thelema code established by English writer Aleister Crowley a Satanist do without will means to seek out and follow your true path and will and and when I, I was doing some research to, to write that and I was thinking about your p- true path and yeah. I'm like well hold yeah. on man that's called the Bible. <laughs> Jesus, the, the people in the Bible, that's your true path. And you don't have to go hunting for it. You, you don't have to figure it out for you. It's all right. It's all been explained to but, you. But what happens is if you don't have that direction and we're living in a culture like the one we're living in right now, where everybody says we don't really know what's true and what's right. And when you don't know what's true and what's right, somebody called it. We're living in a post post truth time. Yeah. Guess what happens in a post truth time? If there's no truth out there, if there's no objective truth, I get to create truth. I mm-hmm. create my truth. And, mm-hmm. and when I create my truth, I'm dominated by emotions. I'm dominated, as you pointed out in your column, by Satan. I'm I, In the Bible, it's there's two things that are conflicting with each other. There's the flesh, the human biological uh, impulse side of a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that's contrasted with the way of Jesus, which is the way of doing right, following God's direction, being discipled to live an honorable, godly life. And that is a life where you got to say, no, I'm not going to do what I want to do, because what I want to do by my emotions is not the right thing to do. Yeah. And so, yeah, my problem is that Christians 
I would almost say through no fault of their own, but they're being manipulated by the rest of culture. And so when they hear, oh, I'm seeking out my truth, they're not connecting it to like, hold on, man, that, that's a manipulation. <laughs> Jesus is told, he done, well, he done laid it out well, for we wouldn't, We wouldn't say a my truth, we would say a the truth. And whatever my experience is or your experience, I got to go back to what God says, even if that goes against how I feel about it. One, one time Jesus was asked about that. Some folk wanted to follow Jesus. And he said, first thing you got to do is deny yourself. I have to look in the mirror, even though I've had this experience, Bobby's had his experience. And well, you don't understand my Jesus said, I've got to deny myself. If I had my own path and my path could lead to my soul salvation, I would need him. So we've got to go back to his regardless of our feelings, regardless of our emotions. We've got to see what God says. And he has the best plan for our lives. So in one of the things we're talking about here is that in our culture, we are rejecting our Judeo-Christian foundation. And I just want to remind us of the whole Tennessee harmony thing. What brings harmony? Is harmony brought by, uh, you have one truth, Anthony (laughs) has another truth, Uncle Jimmy has another truth, and we're just going to fight it out and see whose truth wins. Is is that going to bring harmony? Or is harmony brought by, hey, God's revealed his way, and in our culture, we were founded by people who in most ways were trying to follow God's way. And there's this great heritage there, especially the sense of what it is to be a man. It was that sense of the Christ-like man, often called the chivalrous man. That's the guy who won World War II. If you just watch the movie Saving Private Ryan and and you look at uh, uh, Tom Hanks, the character that he had, was he dominated by uh, emotions and, and uh, you know, different senses of my truth and, and the different truths of his trips? No, there was a mission. He had to subvert his emotions and his personal feelings because of the mission. And that mission was the quintessential mission he had that was reflected in being a man and doing the right thing and getting it done for the sake of other people. That's a Christ-like man. Mm. <laughs> this is going well. Uh, I want to read something just, and I don't want to diminish the conversation we're having, but I don't want, I, I, I want it to be, I want to connect with people at their level. Okay. And, and I saw something else over the internet this week that I wanted to run by you guys. And, and this may lighten the conversation a little bit, but I think there's some things that people will find interesting and we can get a biblical perspective on something that was floating around the internet. I see it's got like 9,000 retweets and 15,000 likes, so it was pretty popular. A guy tweeted out a question he was asked. So here's the background. I went on a date with a lady a couple of weekends ago. Unfortunately, I had car troubles and wasn't able to drive. I did tell her and she said it was cool and she would drive. On the way out to the date, we stopped at the gas station and she asked if I would get out, pay and pump gas for her because she didn't want to. I told her no, because it's not my car and not my responsibility to pump or pay for her gas. Was I wrong? Are men still pumping gas for grown A 
able-bodied women in 2021? I haven't heard from her since the date, but that's fine because to me, this was another example of entitlement because I think females have the mindset that they expect you to beg them to take them out on a date. Oh my. You are expected to pay for it. Get the F out of here. I don't agree with it, nor am I doing it. I don't beg anyone. Am I wrong for this thought process as well? <laughs> Did you respond? <laughs> it wasn't asked to me. This was somebody someone else. But mm. I think this is reflective of You mentioned you mentioned your your grandmother, you mentioned your mom. Uh, my father passed when I was two years old. So I was primarily raised by my grandmother until my mom later remarried. But my grandmother, in her best efforts in raising me, always pointed me to God and Jesus as the example. So one of the examples was in Matthew chapter six, Jesus is teaching a different lesson, but she used this as a means to teach me about manhood. Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to stay. He says, I've got all of that. And so she tells me that as a man, I ought to be able in providing for my family to say, you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to stay, what you're going to wear. I've got that as the provider, Christ-like provider for yeah. my family. So, so even in that listening to that, when he's got all of those things, I, you know, we all are going to face some car issues and all that kind of stuff. But at his first instance, hey, I'm the man here. You stay in the car. I've got the gas. Uh, I pay for the meal. I pay for all of this. And and we're not bringing any. I, I'm the man. I've got this. See, but that just shows that that tweet <laughs> just shows there is no cultural concept of what is it to be a man mm. distinct from a woman, mm. whereas that wasn't the case. So I was raised. Uh, of course, my father discipled me in concepts of manhood. My grandfather did too. So my grandfather could have been on that the Titanic that uh, you pointed out. And I want to share with you, uh, I was trained in the same concepts he was uh, when I was growing up as a child. And, and there's these 10 key things that I was taught about what it meant to be a man. And it's kind of the concept of chivalry or uh, the, the real uh, gentleman. Here's how a, a gentleman asks. So we're going to show those on the screen. And uh, here's what I was taught. And again, it's based, the background in our culture is the person of Jesus who lays down his life for his bride, which is the church. And that a man thinks of himself as, I got to take care. I got to be, be the guy who takes care of the people under my care. Mm. So here's the 10 things I was raised with. A real man stands when a woman walks in the room. He walks by her on the outside closest to the street because he's got to protect her if a car's coming. He opens the door for her. He pulls out her chair. He sits after she sits. He helps her to put on or take off her coat. He picks up the tab for the meal. He doesn't walk ahead of her. He gives up her, his seat to her if needed. And of course, uh, he picks up the check because in all things, he's thinking, how can I treat this woman like a queen? 
Now, Jason, I want to say something about that. Right now, that kind of man is called patriarchy, and he's called a misogynist. Mm. And people get to rewrite history today because, like, there is no truth. We get to have our own truth. And we are really misrepresenting the way that manhood affected women and the family throughout history. And it's way better than the rewrites that historians are making today. Uh, like I can tell you that my grandmother and, and the women in that kind of culture, think about it. It's a culture where they were honoring the values of scripture and women were protected. Women were nurtured. Men stayed with their marriages. They knew that they had a responsibility for their children. And uh, that kind of world and that kind of mindset is really going to be much better if we can go back to it. Well, at the same time, we got to say this, well, still affirming women's gifts and abilities and competencies. Uh, the, the, the real desire is to uphold both, but in a way that shows how men and women are complementary. Mm -hmm. They need each other. They're yes. complementary, even as a man lives a life that's different than a woman. Yes. And churches need to lead the way, as you're pointing out. Amen. So a lot of times we reduce everything down, or I do, reduce everything down to America. But the more I look and look like, this is a global phenomenon. Sure. How do we, I mean, obviously the church and, 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 and faith and having the Bible be our guide is a solution, but Beyond, is there are, what more can we do? What, what should we be doing? This is a global phenomenon that we're all caught in, and it feels like they're winning. Well, the, when it comes to the church today, the world is totally out discipling. And we talk about these ideas, these woke ideas, these left wing ideas. They're to, they've taken over uh the institutions of our society. And what they've done when they've taken over the institution of our society is they've undermined all these ideals. You know that right now, only one in 17 university professors would be conservative. That means 16 out of 17 is left-leaning uh, or radically leftist, and they've taken over the institutions of society. You know, in the 1960s, uh, uh, there was a guy named Rudy Deutsche, and he had this expression, the long march through the institutions of society. And what he said is, communism can't win right now. Marxism can't win. So we're committed to the long march through the institutions of society. I wrote an article on this in, on renew.org where you just map it out. And so what they've done is they've taken over the mindset uh, for, you know, the last... It took a while to gain ascendancy, but say in the last 20 years, uh, Marxist ideas and leftist ideas, they dominate universities, they dominate the social media world, they dominate uh, Hollywood, and these ideals then all over, and what's happening with the churches is the world is out discipling the churches, and the churches are afraid of standing up and saying, that's wrong, we got to follow the way of Jesus and let's follow the way of Jesus here and let's call other people. Come on, let's all do it together. 
your show, the things that you've been saying, that's a part of the package as a faithful disciple of Jesus to speak out and say, hey, there's a better way. And let's follow that way together. Going back to God. I know you mentioned you going back to God, but it's it's actually living that out practically. When we go back to God, we learn our identity, who I am and what I'm supposed to be. We receive our purpose, mission, vision from God. He, he has already laid out, man, this world and the condition of this world is your responsibility. If it's going to get better, it's only going to get better by you being better. Even some of the things that you're mentioning in your articles and even on your show, being transparent, some of the changes you're making in your life, that's you taking forth. If, if I can't, you mentioned gluttony sometimes, if I can't uh, be a leader in my own diet, I can't lead anybody else. If I can't lead my emotions, I can't lead anybody else. But if I can take the path to doing those things by the grace of God, as Bobby points out, biblically, there's a discipleship model. Yeah. And the discipleship model doesn't mean that you have to be all perfect before you can lead someone else. The first disciples that were called, they were called and they just happened to say, hey, you come with me. So while we're on this journey to being better men, grab another young man to say, hey, we got to get this together. Now, take we a do tribe that. of us all saying, absolutely, this is the way of Jesus. And we're reclaiming it. Yes, we're, it's, we're literally renewing it. That's my <laughs> tagline. You know, we're renewing the ways of Jesus because we love people. And this is the best for our culture, the best for our people. It's the best for our churches. It's the best for our families. And and we want men to teach this. When we recently made a decision to hire a family discipleship minister at our church, let me tell you what the main things we looked at. We said, uh, what we really need is to disciple kids to live in the world that's against their beliefs, and it's going to take us discipling fathers in their families to disciple their kids to prevail and be strong in that world. And we're reorienting our whole children's ministry around that focus mm. because it's time to be bold and courageous. Yes. I think this is our best episode, guys. <laughs> we need to do this again. Certainly. And, and uh, you, uh, Anthony and then Bobby, take us out of here with a prayer. Uh, this was great, in my opinion. We'll see what God thinks. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for um, your creation. We're thankful, Father, for the mighty responsibility that you've given us as men. Help us to be more like Jesus. Help us to lead. Help us to be passionate and compassionate, meek and strong. All the great qualities of Jesus. Uh, Father, we pray this for all men. So I uh, just pray if there's any man watching, uh, God, I just pray that you'd impress on his heart that there is a noble vision of manhood that God designed for him and he can step into it right away. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Great job, guys. All right. Was going to bring Uncle Jimmy on at the close of the show. Not going to. I don't want to step on what we just did here in any way, not that Jimmy would ruin it. I'm sure Jimmy would have something profound to say, but I don't want to crack any jokes right now. I wanted everybody to leave here with a thought and thinking about what we can do to restore some manhood and masculinity 
uh, responsible masculinity. I think, Bobby, you called it gentlemanhood. We need some more gentlemanhood out mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I just want to end on that note, but I also want to tell those of you that uh, enjoy a glass of wine with dinner, maybe while in the backyard entertaining friends. Well, let me tell you about one of my best kept secrets, the world's first extreme altitude wine club. My friends over at Bonner Private Wines are a group of Americans who got tired of those flimsy wines you find at most supermarkets. You know the kind, the cheap, throat-burning reds and the syrupy yellow whites. They set out on a journey miles away from civilization and 9,000 feet in the sky to find some of the world's most remote wines, and they nearly died trying, seriously. Plus, if you love steak and barbecue, like I do, then these wines make a great pairing Visit BonnerPrivateWines.com slash fearless and you'll get 50% off wine and 50% off shipping. Just visit BonnerPrivateWines.com slash fearless. That's BonnerPrivateWines.com slash fearless. That's it. And that's all for us. You can listen to tomorrow and the song Freedom as we get out of here. We'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my sister, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving, no deceiving, we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want.